0: How many of you have ever seen the movie Lion King? Have you seen that movie? If you haven't seen it, you need to buy it. You need to rent it. You need to see it because it's a fun, it's a funny movie. It's about this lion prince named Simba who was born to the lion king, Mufasa. And, and Simba is going to eventually be the king of the jungle. But Simba has an uncle, an uncle Scar, who doesn't want Simba to be king. He wants to be King, So, Uncle Scar devises this plan where he gets the hyenas to start a stampede. And, and Simba and Mufasa are in this canyon. The stampede come. They're about to kill Simba and Mufasa. And, and Mufasa, Simba's dad, takes Simba and puts him up on a ledge so he doesn't die. And, and Mufasa ends up dying. And Scar convinces Simba that it's his fault that his father died because of Simba. And so Simba leaves the jungle determined never to go back. And on his journey he, he meets two people or two animals who who eventually become his friends. Timba and Pumba, I believe are their names. Pumba is a warthog of all things. And and as they're going through life, they they introduce simba to their way of life i want you to watch this with me Hakuna Matata. It means no worries. Now, wouldn't it be great to live a worry-free life? Wouldn't that be great? But my question for you is, is is that even possible in our day and age? Is it possible to live a worry-free life? I mean, there's so many things today that we worry about. There's so many things that cause us to stress out. I'm convinced that worry is one of our biggest problems. As a matter of fact, I believe that many people today are worry warts. I heard about this one woman who had convinced herself that she had this rare liver disease. And she finally went to the doctor and he put her through a series of tests. And after all of the tests were over, the doctor discovered that she was in perfect health. And as he sat down with her and talked to her about her health, he said, well, I want you to know that you wouldn't have had this liver disease any way because because if you have this liver disease, there's no discomfort whatsoever. And she said, oh, my goodness, those are my symptoms. No discomfort. Some people are worry warts, aren't they? I heard about this one woman who was convinced that someone was going to break into their home. And every night she couldn't go to sleep because she knew that a burglar was going to come into their house. One night during the middle of the night, they woke up because they heard some noise downstairs. And the the man went downstairs and sure enough, he found a burglar. And so the man said, good evening. It's a pleasure to meet you tonight. I I wonder if you would come upstairs with me for just a moment. My wife has been looking for you for 10 years. And I'd like for you to introduce yourself to her. We worry about so many different things. There was a study done several years ago at the University of Wisconsin on worry. And it discovered that 40% of the things that we worry about never happen. 30% of the things that we worry about are things in the past. And we can't change the past anyway. 10% of our worries are petty worries. 12% are about needless health worries. And the study says that only 8% of our worries are legitimate concerns. Worry is unhealthy. Dr. Charles Mayo, who is the founder of the Mayo Clinic, said this. He said, worry affects the circulation, the heart, the glands, and the whole nervous system. That's what worry does. Dr. Alice Carroll gave this warning. He said, those who do not know how to fight worry die young. Did you hear that? Those that don't know how to fight off their worry are going to die young. Dr. Dorothy McCoy, in an article that was entitled, Keeping Worry Under Control describes what worry can do. This is what she says. She says, Our body starts pumping out an array of chemicals that cause a variety of physiological reactions. She described how chronic worrying can negatively affect the entire body. It increases the risk of heart attack and stroke, it prompts the liver to produce more cholesterol. It increases uh, muscle tension, which causes headache and, and back pain. It also can trigger stomach acid, which, which causes all kinds of stomach disorders. And then she went on to say there is growing evidence that suggests that chronic worry can compromise our immune systems, making us more vulnerable to bacteria, viruses, and perhaps even cancer. Wow! I mean, worrying can kill you. And some of you were going, I was worried about that. That's what worry does. Someone said it this way. Worrying is like rocking in a rocking chair. It will give you something to do, but it won't get you anywhere. Worry is like rocking in a rocking chair. It's going to give you something to do, but it's not going to get you anywhere. Worry never eliminates any problem. It only enlarges them it never helps it only hurts it's needless god's word tells us to live worry free lives listen to what jesus said jesus said therefore i tell you do not worry about your life that's jesus that's our savior that's our god and he said i want you to hear me very clearly don't worry about About life. Now, the Apostle Paul met Jesus. And when the Apostle Paul met Jesus, it changed everything about his life. And this is what Paul wrote in the book of Philippians. He said, Don't worry about anything. Now, anything is everything. So, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Don't worry about stuff. Instead, pray about stuff. You see, we want to live in a fat-free, interest-free, sugar-free, cholesterol-free world, but God says that we need to be worry-free. Now, biblically, that word worry, when we find it in the Bible, it's a compound word. It's it's composed of two different words. The word merizo, which means to divide, and the word noose, which means mind. It literally means a divided mind. Mind When we worry about things, our mind is divided over all kinds of things. Now, why do we worry? We worry about a variety of things, but I truly believe with all my heart that the majority of our worries come from unmet needs or perceived unmet needs. Uh, let me say that again. The majority of our worries come from unmet needs in our life or perceived unmet Unmet needs. That's why Psalm 23 is so important. Because in Psalm 23, we discover that when we have a relationship with Jesus, we have all we want and we have all we need. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I have everything I need. Now, last week, we focused on the key to living stress free, and that's that relationship. With the shepherd. But this morning, what I want us to do is dig a little deeper and look at verses two and three. Because as we look at verses two and three, I'm convinced that that we discover a plan that God gives us that can help us with our stress and can cause us to eliminate worry in our life. Listen to what David said in verses two and three. He said, He, that's God. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Now, those two verses are vital if I am going to live a worry-free life. So this morning, what I want to do is share with you two truths that if you will learn them, And you will live by them. You can leave here this morning. And I will guarantee you, if you learn them, but not just learn them, if you begin to live by them, you can leave here and you will never worry again. That doesn't mean that it may not come into your mind quickly, but you will know how to quickly eliminate the worry. You don't have to. Worry. So what are the two truths? First, you need to realize the source of your met needs. Who is the one who meets your needs? I heard about a, an owner of a small business who was a chronic worrier. And so he put an advertisement in the newspaper looking for someone who would do his worrying for him. True. And, and a young man, fresh out of college, Um, saw the advertisement and and he came in and applied and he was in the interview and he knew that the man owned a small business so he asked the question. He said, how are you going to pay me? Because the man said that he was going to pay someone $200,000 a year for this job. That's good money. And and so the young man fresh out of college said, how are you going to pay someone $200,000 a year to do this job since you're a small business? And the man said, that's your first worry. Now, I believe there's a better way to eliminate our worry. And that is, we hand over our worries not to another person, but we hand over our worries to God. God's Word says, cast your cares, your worries, your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Now, look at verses 2 and 3 again. Notice that first phrase That that it gives us at the beginning of each phrase. He makes. He leads. He restores. Now remember, David is saying that God is the shepherd and, and we are the sheep. Now notice who is responsible for meeting the needs in this relationship. Is it the sheep? No. It's the shepherd that meets the relation the the needs of the sheep now what do the sheep do the only thing the sheep has to do is trust and obey if the sheep will simply trust the shepherd and do what the shepherd says Follow his lead, then their every need will be met. The shepherd will remove fears so that they can rest. The shepherd will find green pastures so that they can eat. The shepherd will provide still water so that they can um, drink water. The shepherd will restore them when they're cast down, when they go astray, when they need to be found. You see, all all the sheep have to do is trust and obey. You need to understand that the sheep belong to the shepherd. They're his. And because they belong to him, it is his responsibility to meet their needs. It's when the sheep get off on their own and try to meet their own needs that they get into trouble. And the same is true with us. When we try to take responsibility for something that God has agreed to do, Here's what I've discovered. We always make a mess of it. Whenever we try to do something that God says, I will be happy to do, we have a tendency to make a mess of it. Do you remember the verse we looked at last week? Philippians 4, verse 19. And my God will meet all your needs according to His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Who is the one who meets the needs? It's not us. It's God who meets our needs and so the first thing that I've got to do if I want to live worry free is I've got to come to that point where I let God take responsibility for what God has promised to do and that's meet my needs and so I've got to realize the source of my met needs who is the one who meets my needs it's not me working harder it's not me working stronger it's not me working more intelligently no It's me trusting God and obeying what he says. And when I do that, when I follow his lead, he's going to meet my needs. Now, the second thing we need to do is this. We need to recognize the scope of our met needs. First of all, we realize the source of our met needs. That's the shepherd. That's our God. But then we realize the scope of our met needs. What what needs does He meet? And, And as we go through this psalm for the next several weeks, we're going to discover something. We're going to discover that God promises to meet our every need. But here's an amazing thing. As we look at these two verses, we discover in these verses not only some of the needs that the shepherd meets... We also discover for us, I believe, some things that we must do if we want those needs to be met and we want to live worry-free if we want to live stress-free. So listen to what it says here, again, in verses 2 and 3. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He makes me lie down, where? In green pastures. He leads me beside what? Still waters. And he restores, he restores my soul. Now notice how David begins. David begins by saying, he makes me lie down. In other words, our shepherd provides rest. Now look at me for just a moment. You need to understand this morning that the first key to a worry-free life is getting the rest you need. Let me say that again. The first key to living a worry-free life is getting the rest that you need. And the same thing that is true for us as human beings were true for the sheep. But here's what you need to understand about sheep. Sheep had a difficult time resting because everything had to be just right. If there were fears, if there was tension, if they were hungry, they just couldn't rest. Flies would keep them from sleeping. Hunger would keep them from sleeping. Friction, tension with other sheep would keep them from sleeping. You you see... For a sheep to be able to rest, to sleep, that sheep had to be completely satisfied. Without a shepherd, that would never happen. Now, Philip Keller has a book. It's an older book now, but it's a great book on Psalm 23. The book is entitled, you can get it, it's entitled, A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm. And in that book, this is what Philip Keller says. He says, in the course of time, he was a shepherd. He said, in the course of time, I came to realize that nothing so quieted and reassured the sheep as to see me in the field. The presence of their master and owner and protector put them at ease as nothing else could. The presence of the master put them at ease like nothing else could. I'm afraid for some of us, that's where we've messed up. That's why we can't rest. That's why there's so much stress, so much anxiety, so much worry in our life. Because we've strayed, and we're going to talk about this, but we've strayed from the shepherd. We don't see the shepherd. We're not close to the shepherd. And because we're not close to the shepherd, we're worried. We're anxious about everything. The sheep needed rest. And the shepherd was the one who made the situation possible for the sheep to get rest. And you and I need rest as well. A CNN poll said recently that 59% of us would like to slow down and rest more. That's the majority. 59% of us would like to slow down and get a little more rest. A Harris poll said that we have 8.5% Less leisure hours than we did per week than we did 10 years ago. We have 8.5 less leisure hours today than we did 10 years ago. According to USA Today, Americans average six and a half hours of sleep a night. One third of us get less than six hours of sleep a night. Now compare that with 1910. In 1910, the average American got nine hours of sleep a night. So we're resting, we're sleeping less than we did years ago. Statistics reveal that 70 million Americans suffer from insomnia. And I want you to listen. Insomnia causes, don't miss this, 38,000 deaths a year in America. Insomnia, not being able to sleep, is the result of 38,000 deaths a year in America. Studies have said... That, that a lack of proper rest costs the United States $70 billion a year in productivity. $70 billion a year. Teenagers struggle with a lack of rest. As a matter of fact, studies show that 64% of teenagers blame their sc- poor school performance on, on not getting enough rest. Researchers say that people between the ages of 30 and 40 struggle with it the most. 50% of people over 65 struggle with insomnia. 65%. Have you ever experienced it? I mean, my wife never has. I mean, it's it's scary. It's frightening. I mean, she puts her head on the pillow and she's out like a log. Sweetie. Sherry. I mean, it's crazy. When we lived in Titusville, Florida, the shuttle came in and landed at Cape Canaveral. First time it did, and, and you may not know this, but when the shuttle landed, there was a sonic boom. And it literally rocked the houses. And I mean, the, the shuttle came in and landed, I think, around 5 o'clock in the morning. I wasn't up yet. My wife was not up yet. And it came in and brrr, house started shaking. I jumped up. I thought we were under attack. You know, I thought World War III had started. I mean, I'm looking out. I'm I'm expecting to see a mushroom cloud out of my window. And and there's nothing there, and it dawns on me, oh, the shuttle was landing. Look over, my wife, she is snoring. No, she's not snoring. Don't tell her I said that. She's asleep. She's having a good time. She can sleep through anything, but, but it's not like that with me. I wish it was. And I kind of struggle with this because Psalm says that God gives rest to those he loves. And I'm thinking, God doesn't love me. Because I'll get in bed at night and my mind will just race on a hundred things and on a thousand things. I've got things to do. I've got people I need to see. I've got obligations I need to take care of. And, and I know there are plenty of you here this morning who are just like me. You just have so many things on your mind You can't seem to turn your mind off and you just are sitting there in bed ready to go to sleep, ready to get rest and you can't. Your mind's just preoccupied with so many things. It seems today that that many people work too much and they sleep too little and that's not a good thing. And I want you to hear me. It's not a biblical thing. We pride ourselves on working on less sleep than ever before we do for us men we think it's a man thing it's a badge of honor yeah i'm getting on five hours of sleep a night four hours three hours and we go man and I, i'm something i work seven days a week 14 hours a day i never take a vacation And we sit back and we think we're incredible. We think we're great. We think we're something. But here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I'm sure you remember that rest made it in God's top ten. You remember that, don't you? It's in the Ten Commandments. I mean, in in every other Ten Commandments, God used five words or less to tell His people what they needed to do. When He came to rest, He used three verses. Listen to what it says. Observe the Sabbath. And Sabbath means, by the way, do you know? Rest. Rest. Observe the Sabbath. Keep it holy. You have six days in which to do your work but the seventh day is a day of rest dedicated to me. On that day no one is to work neither you, your children, your slaves, your animals nor the foreigners who live in your country. God says one day off every week is the rule. It's important for us to understand that God put you've got to take a day of rest along with don't commit adultery. Along with don't kill anybody that's how serious God takes this hear me look at me if you're not taking a day of rest every week you're sinning against God did you hear me that's not me saying that and there there are weeks that I sin but you need to understand according to God's word He says, if you're not taking a day every week that is a day of rest dedicated to me, then you're sinning against me. Now, there are some people today who have made this command more of a burden than a blessing. They they really have. They have put this obligation on it. And, you know, well, we've got to be at church at 8 o'clock in the morning. And we need to be there to the 12. And we need to be back at 3 for meetings. And then we're going to be at church tonight until 8. And, and, and so it becomes a burden where at the end of a Sunday, a Sabbath, or if that's our Sabbath, we're flat worn out. And we go, well, I'm tired, but I did what God said. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. You see, God never intended for the Sabbath to be a burden on us. And Jesus made this plain. You see, the religious leaders had made the Sabbath a burden. And this is what Jesus said. Jesus said to them in Mark 2, Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made, was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, Jesus was saying, this is a day... That you need to set aside to rest, to rejuvenate, to remember that I'm the one who meets your needs. We all need to do that. A day that we've set aside and said, I am going to shut off and shut down and remember that it all depends on God. That's a Sabbath day. It's a day of rest. Now, why did God do that? God did that because you can't ever run an engine 24-7 without that engine eventually blowing up. And you cannot run 24-7, seven days a week, without eventually blowing up. Here's the first thing you need to do if you want to live stress-free, worry-free. You've got to make a commitment to have a Sabbath, a day of rest, a day that you set aside to... To rest, to to worship, not to work, but do those things to relax you and rejuvenate you. Now, now, let me just say, hear me. If pulling weeds in the garden rejuvenates you, then praise God. That's okay. It it really, really is. And for some people, that rejuvenates you. That's an, a good thing. If if going out and and um and playing ball with the kids rejuvenates you then great that's rest for you but you do those things that rest and relax and rejuvenate you unplug is what you're doing and as you unplug you're remembering it's not about my hard work that causes my needs to be met it's my relationship with the shepherd that meets my needs now hear me you need to worship and if you're not worshiping God like we're doing right now, and hopefully you're worshiping, hopefully you're engaged, hopefully you're not asleep. If you're not worshiping God, you're sinning too. The Bible talks about that. But understand, the Sabbath isn't primarily, hear me, the Sabbath isn't primarily about going to church, though we need to do that. The Sabbath is about setting aside time to rest and rejuvenate and relax. Relax. Understanding that God is the one who is in control. Are you tracking? And if you don't do that, hear me, you're going to stress out and you're going to be filled with worry. So the first thing that God says, I want to provide for you so that you can live worry free is rest. We all need rest. Now let's move on because the second thing our shepherd provides is refreshment. Now, he provides this in two ways. First of all, he provides green pastures. Now, green pastures were not only a place that they would lie down and rest. It was a place that they would eat. But the problem is finding green pastures was not easy. Shepherds had to search long and hard to find green pastures because Palestine was a dry and barren place. And, and oftentimes it would take a, a lot of work to find those green pastures. And sometimes... Even that hard work wouldn't provide the green pastures. and So what they would have to do is they would have to move rocks, they would have to dig up stumps, they would have to till the ground, they would have to work and then plant seed and irrigate the ground so that some green pastures could be found. And it was the shepherd's responsibility to provide the green pastures. Now that word green pastures, it, it literally means tender grass, pastures of tender grass. You see, not all grass was good to eat, but the shepherd would search long and hard for for healthy, tender grass. Now listen, I believe with all my heart that our shepherd provides for our physical needs. I, I really do believe that. I believe our shepherd will provide us with food, with with shelter, with the basic needs of life. But I think that there's something more important in this verse. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He provides food for me. I'm convinced if I want to live a worry-free life, there is something more important than having my belly filled, and that's having my soul filled. Listen to what God's Word says in Jeremiah 15, verse 16. Jeremiah, who was called the weeping prophet, said this. When your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight. David said it this way. He said, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I want you to be honest with me this morning. How many of you are taking time every day to dig into God's Word, to feast on God's Word, to savor every bite, to let His words, in His Word, fill up your soul. How many of you are doing that? I mean, let's, let's get real this morning. There are some of you here that aren't doing that. Your only diet of the Word is on Sunday in Life Group if you go. And worship. You come. And you have the word fed to you. One day a week. And you go home. And you go through your week. And you're stressed out. You're filled with worry. And you're wondering why. Can I tell you why? You aren't feasting on the word of God. When you get into the word. And let God's word get into you. Let me tell you, you will discover that your cares begin to slip away because you discover something about God, and that is He's sovereign. He's really in control. You discover that as you read the pages of this book. You discover that He loves you. He loves you with an everlasting love. He'll never stop loving you. You discover that He has promised to meet your every need. And as you open up this book and you let this book feed you, All of a sudden, the worries that you had, you no longer have because you know that he is yours and you are his and and he's going to take care of you. So he... Provides green pastures. And then notice what it says. He leads me beside still waters. Now between March and October, there was hardly any rain in Israel. And the heat would scorch the ground. The water holes would, would dry up and the, and the sheep wouldn't have water. But they had to have water to, to live. Sheep are much like us. Their bodies are 70% Water And so the shepherd would have to find places for the sheep to drink. But but sheep wouldn't drink water from just any place. You see, they were afraid of moving water. They, they wouldn't go near fast-moving water. The reason is because sheep can't swim. And, and they have this coat of heavy wool. And if they would fall into the water... They would sink to the bottom. They can't swim and they would drown. And sheep were timid anyway. We discovered that last week. And so sheep wouldn't go near running water. And so a shepherd would have to find the the cool, clean water. He would dam it up so that there would be that cool, fresh, still, unmoving water. And then the sheep would come to drink. But occasionally... The sheep that were at the back of the flock or the sheep that had strayed kind of to the side or the sheep that got away from the flock, they would get thirsty and they would drink from muddy water holes. That was dangerous because muddy water holes contain parasites. And when they would drink the muddy water, the parasites would get in their stomachs and make them sick. When I was in... Um, India, the last time, you know, you're, you're, if whenever you go to a third world country, one of the things you're told is what don't drink the water. Well, I've gone to a lot of third world countries. I've never got sick drinking water. And so I, I got this mindset that I am invincible. And so, and so I I wasn't as careful as I should have been. And, and I was preaching in a village one Sunday, we were on the way there and, and they got me a bottle of water. And, and it was a bottle that had already been opened. They had filled it up and it was cold. And I was preaching. And, and as I was preaching, I was getting hot and sweaty. And I would just chug that water down as I was preaching. And as I was preaching, I just started feeling weird. And I got through preaching. And, I mean, immediately, once I got through preaching, I mean, I just had to go lay down. And, and then we got in the car. To go to a village where we were going to preach and do evangelism. And I had to make them pull over. And you don't know. You don't want to know what happened when they pulled over. Let me just say. That water made me sick. It it tasted good. It felt good. It was cold. But it wasn't clean water. And here's what I've discovered hear me. There are a lot of people today who are drinking polluted water. And polluted water tastes good at first, especially if it's been refrigerated. I mean, it's cold, it soothes our thirst, and we're okay initially. But I can tell you something, when you drink polluted water, you'll never live stress-free. You'll never live worry-free. It's not going to do that. It's not going to meet that need. And there's a lot of people that are doing that today. They're drinking water that is polluted. That's why, hear my heart, whether whether this is your first time with us at Northside and you never come back again, that's that's okay. As long as you get into a Bible-teaching church. And there's a lot of them. But you need to find a church that teaches the Bible for what the Bible says. And, And you don't need to drink polluted water from people who are trying to make you feel good. But in reality, they are... Polluting you. Now, when it comes to water in Scripture, what does that refer to? Well, listen to what Jesus said. In John 7, it says this, On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood up, and in a loud voice, He said this, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to Me and drink. Whoever believes in Me, as the Scripture said, streams of living water will flow from him. In other words, whoever comes to Me will have water eternal it will never be shut off do you remember what jesus told the woman at the well in john 4 he said whoever drinks the water i give will never thirst again instead the water i give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life now this is speaking of two things first of all it's speaking of god's spirit the holy spirit in us but it's also speaking of i think intimacy with jesus And and may I say to you, you're never going to have intimacy with Jesus unless you're living a spirit-filled life. It is the spirit-filled life from which intimacy flows. So how do we have that spirit-filled life? Well, we submit. We surrender to the Father's will. We open ourselves up to Him, giving Him control. And and when we do that and we empty ourselves of all the things that are us so that He can fill us with all the things that are Him, we will be Spirit-filled and Spirit-controlled. So here's what I know. Hear me. I know with all my heart, if I want to live worry-free, I've got to have rest and recognize that I'm not the source of my needs, but it's the one who said, set apart rest and focus on me because I'm the one that meets your needs. I've got to rest. I've got to get into the Word and let the Word get into me. I've got to be Spirit filled. I've got to have intimacy with the the Father through the Spirit and through the Son. But then there's a final thing I need to see here that I think is important for living worry-free and that is this. I need to understand that our shepherd restores. The Shepherd Leads me, the shepherd um, guides me. The shepherd restores me. You see, sheep have a tendency to get easily distracted, and when they do, they wander off. and And when that happens, they're not under the protection of the shepherd anymore, and that's a bad thing because sheep are easy prey to predators. They can fall off cliffs, and, and then something else can happen. They can get cast down, and you may say, "What does that mean?" Well, it, well cast down is this. It's when a sheep falls down, and sheep have an unusual um, uh, body. And so when they fall down, they have they can't get back up. And in their desire to get back up where they're rocking, they have a tendency to get on their back, and all four feet are up in the air. So a cast-down sheep... And, Think about this. Picture this in your mind. A cast-down sheep is a sheep that's on its back. All four feet are up in the air, and it can't move. I mean, and think about it. Here's this sheep that's on its back with all four feet up in the air. Sheep are timid creatures. They can't protect themselves. And so this sheep knows, oh, my, I look like an all-you-can-eat platter to a wolf. And so they're scared. They begin to bad and all this stuff, trying to get attention. And they start flailing their legs. But when they do that, something else happens. They lose circulation in their legs. And so they can't move their legs anymore. And then because they're on their back, and I don't know why, and don't go into all kind of strange things thinking what this is like, but, but when they're stuck on their back like that, gas gets in their stomach. And their stomach gets hard. And when their stomach gets hard, they get to the point where they will suffocate within a matter of hours. So being a cast-down sheep is a very dangerous thing. A sheep will die if it's cast down, if it gets off on its own and it gets cast down. And so the shepherd comes and he looks for the cast-down sheep. And when he finds the cast-down sheep, he doesn't come to the sheep and go, You stupid sheep! Look at you! Don't you look like an idiot? Sitting down, on your back with all four feet up in the air? What you going to do now, dumb sheep? No, the shepherd doesn't do that. Do you know what the shepherd does? The shepherd typically will sit down beside the sheep. And the first thing he will do is he begins to massage the legs of the sheep so that the blood flow will get back into the legs. And then he begins to talk soothingly to the sheep, to know the sheep, let the sheep know that, that he's going to be okay. And then he will turn the sheep over and he will pick the sheep up when the sheep is ready. He will pick the sheep up and he will hold the sheep there as the sheep's legs begin to get a little stronger and as the sheep begins to gain its equilibrium again. And the shepherd will stand there and hold the sheep up like that until that sheep is now unable to go off on its own. So when the sheep get cast down, the shepherd searches after the sheep, massages the sheep's legs, talks gently to the sheep, picks the sheep up, holds it up until the sheep can go off on its own. Now some of us have this kind of attitude toward God. We think that this is what God thinks about a Christian that messes up. We mess up, we stray, we wander from the flock and and we get cast down. The shepherd, God, comes to us and he looks at us and said, you are so stupid. If you would have stayed with the flock, everything would have been okay. If you would have listened to me, everything would have been fine. But you didn't. Look at the mess you've gotten yourself into. You deserve it. I hope you're happy And then God walks off. Does God do that? No. God doesn't do that. Just like a shepherd, he comes to us and he gently restores us and he stays with us until we can walk on our own. That's why it says in Psalm 42, listen to this, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Hope thou in God. You see, there are some of you right now, I'm convinced, there are some of you here this morning who are filled with anxiety because you know that you've strayed from God. And somewhere along life's journey, you've come to the conclusion that God is a God that that when we mess up, when we blow it, He's just ready to beat us and beat us back into obedience. But that's not the shepherd that we serve. That's not the shepherd we love. When when we do wander off, when we do stray, when we do find ourselves cast down all along, easy prey to the enemy, the shepherd doesn't beat us down. The shepherd gently restores us and helps us up. And there's some of you who are filled with anxiety because you're wondering, could God ever love me again after what I've done? I haven't been obedient. I've wandered away. I've done this. I've done that. And, And God is the good shepherd who comes and says, let me love on you. Let me help you. Let me restore you. Some of you here today... You need to discover the living water. You need to live that Spirit-filled life. You need to let God's Spirit fill you if you're going to ever be worry-free. There are others of you here today who you're never going to be worry-free until you make the commitment to get into the Word and let the Word get into you. You've got to. And then there are others of you today who are so consumed with making money so that you can pay your bills, and you can do these things that you don't take time to just rest and realize that it's not about you, it's about God. And I'm here to tell you, if you want to live worry-free, every day or every week, set aside a day to rest. Focus on God. If you want to live worry-free, find the green pastures of His Word And feast on them every day. If you want to live worry-free, find those streams of living water, the Holy Spirit. And let His Spirit fill you and guide you and control you. And if you want to live worry-free, get to that point where you recognize the shepherd doesn't want to beat you when you stray The shepherd doesn't want to laugh at you when you're cast down. No, the shepherd wants to gently restore you and love you and bring you back to the fold, to the flock. So where are you? Are you filled with worry? Are you filled with anxiety? According to God's word, you don't have to be anymore. I want you to bow your head with me. I want you to close your eyes and with your head bowed and with your eyes closed. Here's what I want you to do this morning. Our, our commitment time is a little different this morning than, than last week. I want you to just think for a moment. Are you filled with worry? Are you filled with anxiety? If you are, why? Is it maybe because there hasn't been the rest that you need? Is it because Is it because you're not feasting on the word? Is it because you haven't surrendered yourself to him and because of that, his spirit is not filling you? Or is it because you've wandered away from him? You found yourself cast down and now you're wondering if the shepherd could ever restore you and even if he wants to. I'm here to tell you he does and he will, but you've got to let him. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a moment right now And I want you to just pray and talk to God. Just tell him your heart. Tell him what you need. Let him minister to your spirit. So pray for just a moment. Father God, I thank you that you are a shepherd that meets our every need. And I pray today, Father, that we will learn that that you, 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 you are the one who is the source of every met need. You make us lie down in green pastures. You lead us beside the still waters. You restore our soul. And Lord, I pray that we will trust you and we will follow you with all of our heart. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.